So welcome from whenever and wherever you are watching from. Uh, I'm going to start a little bit different today uh, because I got asked a question about a week and a half ago and a friend of mine got asked the same question and then last week uh, one of our other elders, Mike Harmon, got asked the same question. And this question is this, do we or Element think that the coronavirus vaccine is the mark of the beast? And I unequivocally want to say from the outset, the answer to that is no. I'd also like to say that in, when we honestly ask, there are no dumb questions. And what we have to understand is when we talk about things like the mark of the beast, there was a Hebrew way that John, who wrote the book of Revelation, would have spoken about that and understood that. In Revelation chapter 7, chapter 14, chapter 22, God speaks about sealing and marking his people. In one place in the book of Revelation chapter 13, it talks about this thing called the mark of the beast. Now, back in historical times, when John wrote the book, there's a guy who's the emperor, and his name is Domitian, and you had to take his mark in some places to buy or sell in the marketplace, and the Jews typically called him the beast. Now, some people extrapolate that forward and say, oh, the whole thing is going to happen again. What you really understand is when you see this thing called the mark of the beast, it's a mockery of what God is doing and how God seals his people. And so what we also have to understand is that nothing can take us out of God's hands. Yes, people may do crazy and weird things with the vaccine, forcing people to take it or other people not to take it, but there is nothing that can pull us out of God's hands, whether you get the vaccine or not. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, Nothing can pull you out of my Father's hand. And there is nothing that man can do that could come along and ruin the salvation that Jesus has given us. So, Element's position is the coronavirus vaccine is not the mark of the beast. And there are all other uh, kind of discussions we can have around if you take it or not in that, but we would unequivocally say that for you. Now, moving on, uh, we are going to go into the book of Job in just a couple of weeks. And when we hit the book of Job, we're doing a Lent journey. And we're going to do that journey as an entire church together, even though we still can't meet and we're distanced. We are making booklets to hand out to every single one of you. And in these booklets, you're going to get some sermon notes and some daily devotions and some questions for your family and gospel communities, a journaling section to walk through all that you're thinking about and going through. We're going to have kids boxes with lessons and notes that go along so your entire family can do these things together. It's a way for us to reflect and grow closer together and move the same direction as a church family. But we've got to find a way to get these booklets into your hands. So on February 7th, yes I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, we're not trying to ruin that for you, but we're going to do a little picnic. And when I say a picnic, that means you bring a blanket and your own food, so we, you are doing a picnic. We're going to rope off the parking lot. We're going to have you come, set your blankets down. And during that, we'll do a couple games, you know, with the kids as you're distanced. And then we will come out and hand out those booklets to everybody who is here. Now, if you are not comfortable coming to an outdoor picnic type thing like that, our office will be open all week. And we can come by and, and grab some of those booklets while you're there. If you're not comfortable with that, we have people who have volunteered to be our Lent Job Uber booklet drivers, and they will drive these to your house. Just send an email to connectourelement.org. If you live 
too far away because they're not driving to other states, uh, you can send us an email at connectorelement.org and we will mail you booklets as well to wherever you are if you would like some. If you come to the live service on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., which is message only, we will also hand out the booklets there. We want everyone at Element kind of moving forward in the same direction. Someone asked me also, will you have a PDF version available? Yes, we will, and it will be a fill-outable PDF version, but you have to remember to save it every time you put something in there or you're going to lose what you put in. So we want to move forward together through this journey in the book of Job and keep that in mind and be praying for what God's going to lead us through in that. Now, in the middle of the message today, I'm going to put up a slide. The slide's going to have a question and that question is going to enable you to pause the live stream, take care of your kids, get some coffee and ask one another around you or you personally to think about that question before we go deeper into what we are talking about. If you have a smart device, you can download this app. It is called Uversion. When you're in Uversion, click on more and then events. If you're in our local area, we will come up by GPS and your smart device. If you're not in our local area, type in 93455 as a zip code and we will come up and you will get verses, questions, announcements, everything that really goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors at Element. If you are so inclined, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, today we come to you and we ask that you would teach us what it means to live and walk in your truth and the ways that you call us to live in our lives while also understanding those around us in ways that teaches us to be able to speak the gospel in a way that makes sense where they are. We ask that you would use us and lead us and guide us into everything that you would so that we would glorify you and we live in the joy that you continually bring. Amen. Okay, so uh, we are doing this short series to start off 2021 before we hit that uh, Job journey. We're calling it The Greatest Story Ever Retold, and we're going to do a couple of these after the book of Job as well. It's kind of book in the book of Job. Uh, but as we do these greatest retold stories, it's looking at the scriptures from maybe a little bit different perspective than we've seen before. Now, some of the stuff I've said in the previous weeks you might have heard, so it's just review for you, and I hear that review is good, so, so that's all right. But God seems to all always be changing how I think things are going to go. And he's taken these first four weeks and still kind of brought these things together around the ideas of community and belonging and grace and, and, and hope. And this is what he continues to do today in, in what we talk about. And I had planned to do last week and this week as just one long message, but I split it up, you're welcome, <laughs> into these two separate weeks. So if you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look now when Jesus talks about judging and moves into talking about pearls and pigs and dogs and see what this all looks like. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly the speck out, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So, you know, we look at these verses and where we started last week, the ideas of judging and what that 
that looks like, but really it comes down to entrusting ourselves and other people into God's hands alone. It means that we are meant to live as a people where it becomes a practice that all that we do is left in God's more than capable hands. And when we do that, our worry and even our anxiety can actually become less because we understand that God is carrying us. And we don't have to be in control of everything that's going on around us. We don't have to judge others in ways that looks at who they are in their we allow God to do those things. It's almost like this deep breath perspective. Many times we start going through life and things get overwhelming and we don't know what to do. And God's like, take a step back, take a deep breath. (sighs) You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because God is sovereign. And so we ask these questions of what causes us to get anxious? Uh, What conflicts do we have in our life? We can leave all of those in God's hands. We can be grounded. We can be centered as we walk through the things God calls us to. In the book of Psalms, it talks about a person who is like that. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in season, and its leaf does not wither. It's the idea that no matter what we go through, we may bend, but we don't have to break. And Jesus is inviting his followers to walk in the world in a way that reflects this. And yes, there are lots of people today who call themselves Christians that do not take this path. There are some people around us who have all the right answers to all the right Bible verses and all the questions and they wear the right t-shirts and have the right bumper stickers, but inside they're still deeply lost and they are anxious and anything but in who Jesus calls us to be. Jesus invites people to live a simple life of humble trust that everything can be entrusted to his more than capable care. And so what Jesus does in these verses is he kind of traces what happens when we don't entrust ourselves or others to him. And it goes to what we looked at last week. We start to become scared of things. We start to judge everything around us. Right before we get to the words in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 6.31 is what Jesus says right before that. And what we have to understand is the chapter breaks in the Bible, that wasn't written by Matthew. Matthew wasn't going, and this is chapter 7. He didn't do that. Those chapter breaks were put in 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 the 1200s. And they're there so that we can find stuff in the scriptures. When I say open to Matthew chapter 7, I don't have to say uh, flip uh, three pages into Matthew. I can tell you where it is. You can go and find it. And the end of Matthew 6 and Matthew 7 actually goes hand in hand. Matthew 6.31, Jesus says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? It's the idea that God takes care of everything. We can entrust ourselves into his hands. And so when Jesus then goes into judging, it looks at what happens when we are not entrusting God with everything in our lives. What happens is we start to judge. And I know you're probably thinking, so what does judging and what I eat, drink, and wear you know, have to do with one another? Well, everything. Because judging is how we're relating to others. And so when Jesus starts, it's entrust yourself to God. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat and drink and wear. Trust God in that in your life. And that will then directly go into, therefore we must also entrust other people into God's hands. And therefore we do not have to judge them. And if we don't trust God, we're going to be plagued with all these desires to control everything and the people around us in ways that work out how we want it. It goes from judgments to planks, and then he goes to pearls, and it actually is all related. John chapter 7, verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So how are pigs and dogs related? Like when you look at pictures 
of Jesus. You never see him carrying pigs or dogs. He's always carrying sheep. So what's going on here? And have you ever been tempted to throw your pearls in front of pigs? Like maybe you're out with your friends and things get out of hand. You're like, woo, let's get some pearls and go throw them to pigs. I used to only throw one pearl. Now I'm throwing a whole lot of pearls. Woo, let's go. And was this really a problem in Jesus' day? Were people running around and throwing pearls to pigs? What's happening here? So let's start with the retold idea of what is taking place. Because culturally, in the context, you see the brilliance of what Jesus is saying and what he is doing. And so often we lose sight of this. Uh, Sometimes people look at these verses and they think that Jesus is calling some people dogs or pigs. And we have to start with this, that Jesus does not belittle people. Jesus calls people to his side. He calls us to himself. And when Jesus talks about judging one another, it is in a way that we understand we're not supposed to tear one another down. So do you think in any way that Jesus is now walking into verses and saying, you have the pearls of my wisdom, but some people are dogs or pigs, so don't share those with those people. You have the wisdom of the gospel, but don't give it to unworthy people. Of course not. Jesus is not saying that. They actually asked a bunch of little kids, you know, what they think Jesus meant by this. And one six-year-old boy said, it means I'm not supposed to share toys with my sister. Like his toys are pearls and his sister is a pig or a dog. Do you think in any way Jesus is saying some people are unworthy, so don't help them? If we were in a live service, I would wait for you to answer that question, but you're watching, so whatever. Romans 3.23 says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who do you think all refers to in that verse? All of us. Every single one of us. The Bible constantly reminds us that humanity, we are fallen and broken. Jesus says, I don't come to call the righteous, but the wicked. And we are a people who need to understand that we need Christ alone. So we have to be very clear here that there are not certain classes of people that we are supposed to view as pigs or dogs who are unworthy of our great pearls. Nobody ever taught or modeled the dignity and worth of people with the clarity and urgency that Jesus did. A pearl was a good thing. A pig or a dog being thrown something like a pearl is something that is holy, but the pig or dog is unable to comprehend the value of what it's been given. Like a pig says about a pearl, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm a pig. The problem with giving a a pearl to a pig is not that a pig is unworthy. The problem is that a pearl is not a helpful thing to give to a pig. I have seen very few pigs in my lifetime wearing pearls. Even Charlotte's Web and some pig didn't, even, didn't wear pearls there. Jesus, in context of what he is saying, is going to a much deeper problem in human relationships. And I think if we understood it deeply, it would help our friendships and our relationships in marriages and relationships with kids, all of our relationships. It's the idea that many times your pearl should not be forced on someone because they don't want it. Again, Jesus here is inviting us to entrust ourselves to God alone. And we are, when we are not entrusting ourselves to God, we're going to be plagued with worry and doubt and anxiousness. So he invites us to place other people in God's hands so we don't have to control them or manipulate them. And sometimes we'll manipulate through negative things. Uh, maybe you've got a mother-in-law, and that's how you feel all the time. I don't know, but sometimes negative things are condemning and judging. But we also sometimes try to control through positive things. Uh, like anyone ever grow up in a, in a Christian home, or maybe knew a, somebody who grew up in a Christian home, and they went to all the youth groups and all the camps and all the rallies and, and all of those things. And then when they turned 18, they just went crazy and wanted nothing to do with the faith. 
Many times the pearl can even be the Christian faith if it's shoved down someone's throat. The good thing becomes an unappreciated, unwanted thing. Jesus says they will even trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. The words for attack you there, it means tear you to pieces. A pearl does not nourish a pig, and nourishment is what the pig is looking for. What will help the pig is food. You put a bunch of slop in the trough, you got a happy pig, a healthy pig. You keep putting pearls in the trough, you're not going to have a happy pig. What you're going to have is a resentful pig. And you might even get resentful at the pig and say, do you see all these great pearls I'm giving you? Why don't you appreciate it? It cost me so much money to fill that trough with all of these pearls, you dumb pig. And eventually the pig's going to turn around and take a bite out of you because at least you are edible. And it's the same with the dog. I once read this story about these people who had a nativity scene in their front yard. And the dog always wanted to go out and mark its territory. And it did that by peeing on Jesus. And so they had one rule for the dog, and that was during Christmas, it was stay away from Jesus. That's not the normal pearl that Christians tell people about. And don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying you should never share the gospel with someone who is resistive. I am saying we entrust them to God alone, that we don't have to manipulate people, that God can work in people in ways, put us where we need to be so that we would share and would speak of the gospel of the good news of Jesus, how and where it needs to be shared. But this also isn't just about the gospel. This is about all of our pearls of our so-called wisdom. So before we talk about everything else, I'm going to put up my question right here. And I have two in this really. The first one is this, what are some pearls that other people have given you They're pearls of wisdom that you have rejected. And then my second one is, what are some pearls that you have given to other people that other people have rejected? And how'd you respond to that when they didn't really appreciate your pearls? Now, pearls are something in the Bible that are spoken of as a good thing. Jesus kind of moves it to a little bit of a negative thing here, but he can do that because he's Jesus. But you almost have to put pearls and pigs and dogs in air quotes because many times people would rather push their pearls and help others. Uh, John Ortberg once called them pearl pushers, and I thought it was funny. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 14 says, uh, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Pearl pushers are people who take it upon themselves to try and correct everybody else around them in all the places that they are wrong. It is the idea that you are judging one another like Jesus just talked about. Now, I know I like to make fun of people's driving a lot. I read this thing where one guy said there's only two types of drivers other than me in the world. There's maniacs who drive faster than me and idiots who drive slower than me. And the truth is, if we are going around life just looking at everybody around us like that, we're never going to have deep, meaningful relationships. We're always going to find the faults. And I understand that because when I talk about driving, I want to educate people with my pearl of wisdom all the time on how to drive to the roundabout. You're in the left lane, you exit on the left side, you keep going straight. Right lane, you go through, you turn right. I know, you're tired of hearing me talk about it. So I'll quit talking about my pearl, but we, sometimes when people are only trying to push their pearls, they end up being alone. And they ask, why does anybody want to be around me? Because pearl pushing is a very lonely way to live. And yes, sometimes your pearl, it might be great and wonderful wisdom. Maybe it's even about Jesus himself and the gospel. Like I know a lady who loves Jesus, wants everybody to know Jesus, wants her kids to know Jesus, but from the time they were little, she emotionally manipulates them whenever they did anything wrong to start crying in front of her and Jesus and and seek forgiveness for all these things. Now her kids are grown and they're older. And many of them don't even come to visit anymore because of the way that she has manipulated them. She keeps trying even now to push her pearls on her kids. 
And, and don't get me wrong when I say this. I believe that if you have kids and going to church is important to you and they live in your house, you, you take them with you, even if they're teenagers and don't want to go. What we call this is a lifestyle example. You take your kids with you because it's important to you and they live under your roof. But we must understand that when Jesus says the things that he does, his teaching is not don't ever confront anyone. It's not don't set up boundaries when people step over them. It's not don't enforce consequences because we all need to be able to do that. But it is more stop forcing your perceived wisdom on non-receptive people. And sometimes it's even easier to see that from the outside. Uh, If you can go back to at one point to where there are live services at a church. You can see this happen a lot of times on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, there's one person who thinks they have a lot of pearls and someone else who looks at them and talks and they're mildly interested in what they're saying and a pearl poacher is like, oh, I've got someone to talk to now. And they just start talking and talking and talking and eventually from the outside, you will see the other person just kind of glaze over like they're done. It's like, we all see it. The person who's getting talked to knows it, but the pearl pusher doesn't see it. All they want to do is be able to win and get people to conform what they want them to do. See, we have to understand that everybody has their own little kingdom, and we are not going to make them change that kingdom. We have to make space for God to do his work to entrust people into his care. Only God can enter someone's kingdom on its deepest level and actually change people. And I know for those of us who love Jesus and want nothing more than for those around us to love and follow Jesus as well, that sometimes it is hard to stop talking. It is hard to just step back and let God do his work in somebody. And for parents, I know there's probably nothing more painful than a child who wants nothing to do with Jesus, the one who has rescued and saved you, and you want them to know and love and follow him. One writer says it like this, There is maybe nothing more painful for a parent than to know the greatest treasure of their life is unwanted by their child. But we also have to understand that God is sovereign, and we can entrust people into His care, and He may even have a different or a better way to reach your child. As an example, I was reading this story by a guy named Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy is a famous NFL Super Bowl winning coach, like so famous, I had never even heard of him until I read this story, (laughs) but but whatever. Uh, Tony Dungy had a son who was going into high school football, and every morning his son would get up and have to go to practice and do these things, and all he would eat is a Pop-Tart. And again, don't get me wrong, I like Pop-Tarts, brown sugar, and cinnamon. It's my favorite, but it's not the best nutrition in the world. So Tony sees his son doing this for breakfast, and so he starts to explain to his son the ideas of nutrition and why it's important to have a big breakfast before you go out and start practicing in the morning and training. And this is a high school kid getting nutrition advice from a NFL Super Bowl winning coach, and he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear it at all. Until one day, like a few weeks later, Tony Dungy he comes walking downstairs and he starts smelling. He's like, what is that? Well, his kid's making breakfast of like oatmeal and bacon and eggs and fruit. And Tony's like, oh my goodness, all my pearls of wisdom I've gotten through. How amazing is that? So he goes downstairs and he's talking to his son and says, hey, what you doing, buddy? I see you're making a really big breakfast. And his son said, yeah, my high school coach told me I need to eat better for breakfast. See, his dad... Super Bowl winning NFL coach, but he's still dad. And the pig didn't want the pearl. Not that the pearl wasn't still great wisdom and not that the pearl wasn't a pearl, but the truth still got through. 
There is this whole section now of research that centers on faith development. And what they're showing is one of the biggest predictors of children remaining committed to God when they grow up is having a multi-generational team, a family, a group around children pouring into them. And this could be a gospel community or family that has grandparents and aunts and uncles. Could be taking kids on a mission trip so they could see the wider world around them. It's important because for some reason there is going to come a day when kids do not want your pearls of wisdom anymore, as great as your pearls may be, but they are going to want somebody's. And so you're going to want somebody in their life who can actually speak to them. Now, there's this old story that's related by John Ortberg. It kind of drove this home for me. I'm going to tell you it as best as I can, uh, hopefully close to what he did. I might butcher it, but whatever. It's about this fifth-grade teacher named Mrs. Thompson and a fifth-grade boy she did not like named Teddy Stollard. Now, Teddy was a kid, didn't get along with other kids, smelled bad, always a disruption in class, uncooperative. He is a complete mess. Uh, Miss Thompson said that she put so many red marks on his paper, she had to get a new red pen. But she also said she felt kind of vindicated when she did that, like, oh, take that, Teddy Stollard, you're such a pain in my rear in this classroom. And then it's come up to Christmas, and she's pulling out the kids' files, because as you go through school, teachers write different things about kids, and it goes from class to class to class. So she starts reading things from Teddy's old teachers. First grade teacher. Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He is a joy to be around. So she's probably thinking, well, what happened? Second grade teacher. Teddy is an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother is very ill. Life at home must be a struggle. Third grade, Teddy's mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest. Fourth grade, Teddy is withdrawn, doesn't show much interest in school. So Miss Thompson realizes the problem. Do you see it? Ding, ding, ding. Right. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And at Christmas time, the children are bringing gifts to, you know, Miss Thompson as their teacher, all wrapped in these shiny, bright papers. And Teddy brings his, and it's wrapped in newspaper because it's all that he had. And as she opens Teddy's presents, everybody starts to laugh because she pulls out of his present this old, ugly rhinestone bracelet with half the rhinestones missing and a quarter-full bottle of cheap perfume. But she stops the children's laughter by putting the bracelet on and saying how beautiful it is. And then she takes the perfume and puts it on her wrist. After class is over, Teddy walks up to her and he says, You know, Miss Thompson, today you smell just like my mom. And her bracelet on your wrist, it looks really, on your wrist looks really, really good on you. And Miss Thompson said she cried for half an hour after class was over. And she said that's the day she decided to stop teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic and started to teach children. So she starts to work with Teddy. She starts to, you know, give all of her time and energy to this kid. She said his mind begins to come alive. And the more she encouraged him, the more she believed in him, the faster he responded. He becomes one of the smartest kids in her class. Six years later, she gets a note where he graduates from high school second in his class. Four years after that, she gets another letter from him talking about graduating from college with the highest honors. Four years after that, she gets another letter, and on the top it says Theodore F. Stoward, M.D. And in this letter, he tells her, I met a girl. I'm going to get married. Would you come and sit in the spot of my mother? So she does. Shops on a plane. She takes that bracelet and puts it on. She puts on that perfume and goes and sits in the place of his mother. And after the wedding's over, he sits down with her, and he thanks her for being the best teacher that he ever had. And she said, no, no, you don't get it. You're the best teacher I ever had. 
Now, this story has been told in a lot of places, and you may have even heard before. I I don't know, but you're going to hate me for this because it usually moves a lot of people, but it's not a true story. (laughs) The story was written by a woman named Elizabeth Ballard. And Elizabeth Ballard said she wrote it because it came out of two real-life events in her life. The first one is when she was a Sunday school teacher, and a grubby little boy gave her a rhinestone bracelet and a quarterful bottle of some cheap perfume, and she didn't even think about it and ask any questions about it. But it did remind her of when she was a little girl, and she was growing up in a very impoverished family. And so she brought her teacher the only thing she could, which is a bunch of pecans she picked up in her yard for Christmas and gave them to her teacher. All the students started to laugh. Why would you bring pecans to the teacher? Oh, that's so dumb. And she stopped everybody from laughing at her by saying, this is exactly what I need. I was going to make a fruitcake, and this is what I need to to finish it off. Now, you and I both know the teacher was not going to make a fruitcake because nobody likes fruitcakes, and nobody makes fruitcakes. We don't even know where fruitcakes come from. They're like sinkholes in the road. They just show up out of the blue sometimes. But what she did, she started to understand in this that the teacher saved her. The teacher looked at her and she grew up. She started to write the story so also people could understand. And the story she wrote about Teddy Stollard from kind of her own life experience touches people every day. That shows us if we have eyes to see those around us, we will stop judging them in different ways. We will see them with eyes of love. We'll stop seeing people as pigs and dogs. That's why she wrote it. And I don't know about you, but I think the world is a place that needs Jesus' pearls. It needs to hear and understand the gospel. It just does not need to always be in the way Christians try to force that on people. We are called to see people where they are, to understand they have a story, so we can share our pearls in ways that actually make sense. Again, don't misunderstand me anything I said. We do need to speak and display the good news of the gospel. I am not saying we should never try and educate people or give to others. But really, in the end, it becomes the motive behind it all. Because some people are about conquest and winning and not about the glory of God. And we need to always be about the glory of God. Sometimes in the end, it's not even about us and them. It's about us and God and entrusting ourselves to Him where we are at our core. We entrust ourselves to God, we entrust others to God. Which leads me to three things of how I want to end this. The first one is this. Entrusting ourselves and others to God is the only way we will ever help anybody. It is the only way our pearls will ever get across. Because Jesus is not saying never share and say anything to anyone. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say let everybody believe and do whatever they want. In verse 5 he starts with take the plank out of your own eye first, and then you can help other people with a speck in their eye. So we can be the type of person who's able to help those around us. We can help get the specks out of other people's eyes, but it comes from a place where we are dependent on Christ first. Us, entrusting ourselves to Him. When the hard work of plank removal has been done in our own life, we can then help people around us. The second thing is, entrusting ourselves and others to God happens when we give up control. We do not have to be in control. You can't control your spouse, your coworker, your boss, that, that kid in the first place. We must realize we can't make anybody really do anything. And if there is anyone in your life that you've been trying to get to do what you want, take a step back and entrust them to God alone. Jesus says we must be a people who start with our own sense of powerlessness and brokenness. And then, after we deal with that, we can start on those around us. Thirdly, entrusting ourselves and others to Jesus is the only, is the only path to real freedom. 
You can love and do anything you want for somebody else, but they are free to accept it or reject it, and we have to live in the tension of that. That's the ideas of dogs and pearls and, and pigs. Maybe you have a kid in your life that you would just die for and you want them to give up all the garbage in their life and trust Jesus. But the reality in the end is that is in God's hands. So we must lay that at the foot of the cross. We entrust them to God alone. And I will tell you, for us, prayer is the closest we come to being able to influence people in their deepest level. The only way we are ever able to go into the deepest part of a person's soul is prayer with God. The best way to affect another person is by talking to Jesus. Now, I, like you, have a person in my life who drives me crazy at times. They always think they're right. They're rude about it. I know it sounds like me. It's not me. Could be you. I don't know. But I had to have a hard conversation with this person, actually multiple times. And so what I did is I started to pray about the conversation and me and my heart and them and how it was going to come across. And I realized in the end that I don't need to control the outcome. I don't even have to have them agree with me when the thing is over. I don't even have to talk well. I just have to show up and trust that God is going going to do what God is going to do because it's not about me getting my wisdom across it's about God working in all of our hearts and lives that we entrust ourselves to him when Jesus is our is our center we can become less afraid of others we become more bold in what God calls us to do we become less controlling of other people Jesus essentially says the more that you judge the more miserable you will become and this is why at the cross we find freedom Because this is where all judgment came to culmination, where Christ died and rose for us. And this week, starting this week for the rest of your life, let's say no pearl pushing. As you go from one relationship to another, maybe we just start asking God the questions. God, help me to see what you see here in this person or this group of people. Would you help me to think what you think? Would you help me to feel what you feel? Would you help me to see what you see? Would you help me to say what you want me to say with no judging, no condemning, no superiority, uh, no blaming, no comparing? Just give me a deep understanding of the gospel of your rescue of me so I would be able to step in and be your ambassador and representative to this person or to these people. We are a people who must understand the gospel and the reality of the gospel. That we are those who have been saved. And many times in our lives, we did not want the pearl of the gospel's wisdom, but God did a work in our heart, if we believe, to bring us to a place where we trust God for everything. And even today, as Christians in our lives, we still don't listen to all of Jesus' pearls that he lays before us. We so often lift up our own wisdom in front of his. And this is why we must always come back to the gospel, the good news of Christ rescuing and saving us. This is why every week Element talks about this reminder of this thing called communion, that Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, where you, where you take cracker or bread and, and you break it, and you take wine or grape juice and you either dip it or drink it. It's a reminder of Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was shed to rescue and save us. All that we can never do to make ourselves righteous, Jesus did for us. There is nothing that we could do to make God love us or love us more, actually. And what Jesus does is he takes and moves us from where we are in relationship with God himself. And there is nothing that can pull us out of his more than capable hands. And so this is where we entrust ourselves. That communion in the gospel reminds us to entrust all that we are to him. And if you need prayer today, maybe you've been in a spot where you are really fearful and you're not entrusting yourself to God alone. You're entrusting yourself to 
cultural whims or whatever your friends are saying, you're being pushed all over the place. Well, what we would love to do is pray with you to help you to understand that we can entrust all that we are to who God is alone that he is our rescuer, that he is our redeemer. And if you need prayer, you know, send an email to prayer.element.org or connector.element.org, and we'd love to get a hold of you and pray with you through this. You know, we are a people who give because God gave so much to us, so giving is part of our worship. So you have that opportunity, you know, not just when you watch the live stream, but anytime. You can give online or, you know, mail something to Element. We are a people who give because God gave to us, and Element becomes a generous and giving church because of that as well. And I would encourage you to grab, uh, you know, the sermon notes and ask one another these questions about our own pearls of wisdom and how we get so frustrated when people don't listen to them and what do we do with that? How do we begin to be a people who can help one another to entrust all that we are to God alone? Because so often we are afraid to entrust ourselves to the God who has rescued and saved us. And this is why it's so important again for us to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. His rescuing of us, His drawing us in, His salvation of us. Because when we understand how strong and mighty and good He is, we will entrust ourselves. And that's the beginning of entrusting everybody else into His hands as well. So let's be a people who entrust all that we are to all that He is. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would take us and remind us of the goodness of what You have done. We thank You for the gospel And yet so often we don't understand the depth or reality of it. And we get our eyes off of what you have done and start getting our eyes onto ourselves. And we start entrusting ourselves to things that we have created and things that we tell ourselves are so important. And yet the one foundational truth that we need to live in is your rescue and care of us. And so teach us to be a people who understand fully what the gospel means. Day by day, draw us closer to understand that. And as we do, have us begin to entrust others around us into your hands as well. To know the times and the places to speak the good news of the gospel. To know when to share our pearls of wisdom. And to also trust you when you say that you've got this and we can back off because you are the only one who can actually step into other people's hearts and souls and change people in ways that makes lasting difference. Have us truly be your ambassadors in the world, not afraid to speak of your name, not afraid to speak of the pearls that we know that is found in the gospel, but also understanding your call in is enough to see the world the way that you do to understand people in ways that they have a story and that all of our stories will only find ultimate culmination in your story written over us. Teach us to be those who live out the gospel every single day. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.